Welcome to Sunday Morning at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Pastor Goss. Good morning. Well, this is one of the great weeks of the Christian faith. It begins on this day, what we traditionally call Palm Sunday, or if you talk to my grandson, who's about two and a half, it's Palm Tree Sunday. And so he's close. So, uh, you know, it signifies the time when Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem. The crowds gathered, put palm trees down in front of him, declaring him as the King and the Messiah. They thought he was coming to institute a kingdom physically on earth, and he would be the king, and the Jewish nation would rule the world. But that didn't happen. Throughout the week, he teaches in the temple area and goes through different things. And then come a time where he tells his disciples, look, there's a cult tied somewhere. Go find it. Go get it. Gave him directions. Said, go prepare a meal for us in the upper room, a room that's borrowed, the Passover meal, a time of great significance, a time that mattered a lot. And in fact, in Luke chapter 22, verse 14, our text says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So they gather around this table, and there's elements of this meal that they would partake of. Now, it's called a Seder meal, principally four main issues. Now, you see uh, there's a picture there on your screen of a traditional Seder meal. Things have been added to that since that time. But basically, there were four things that were on this table that we're going to look at this morning that had great significance. Now, to the disciples who were eating this meal, it was just another Passover meal. But to you and I, as we look at it, it has great more significance. Jesus, as he partook of it, understood the significance of what was going on. So let's look at these four elements. First of all, the lamb. It talks about a submissive Messiah. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, submissive, willing to do what God wanted him to do no matter what. He was submitted to the will of God. John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist declares, he sees Jesus coming the next day and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then so the disciples are eating up some lamb there on this Passover meal, not understanding that before them was the Lamb of God, not fully grasping all that that meant. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, talks to us about this lamb. He says, he was oppressed, treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He followed that through even in the next day. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 12, the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him. Jesus remained silent. 
Don't you hear the charges they're bringing against you, Pilate declared? Well, Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. You see, Jesus was completely submitted to the will of God, no matter what he asked him to do. And he lived for God. He not, didn't live for himself. He was submitted to God's will. In fact, he said himself, he came to do the will of the Father. Now, why are you and I here on this planet today? I hope you would agree with me that we are here to do the will of God. Correct? That's what Christianity is about. I am willing to submit my life to God and do whatever He wants me to do. And here's another thing. Let, let me just throw this in and not complain about it. Now, I know I'm pushing a little far. I, I'm asking a little bit much. But see, Jesus knows He's going to die. And yet when He's accused falsely, when he comes to that place where people are against him, what does he do? Does he complain? Does he blame somebody else? Does he say, it's not fair, it's too hard? Silence. Why? Because he was on this planet to do whatever God wanted him to do. And you and I could learn a lesson from that. We tend to, at times, fight against what God has for us. And when it gets difficult, we whine and complain and say, well, this isn't right. I don't deserve this. But Jesus obediently, willingly went into the path that God had chosen for him. See, God will never force you to do something. You have to be willing to submit to the will of God. And what we see here is a man who was willing to do what someone else told him to do without complaint, with complete obedience. He was a submissive Messiah, an example for you and I. Secondly, on that plate is the unleavened bread which speaks of a sinless Messiah. He's unblemished. He is the perfect sacrifice. Now you see in the Old Testament when they had to bring a sacrifice, the lamb could not have a blemish. You couldn't look and say, well, you know what? This lamb here probably is going to make it as longer it is and as good as the other one. It's a little sickly. Maybe got some defects in it. I'll take this one and sacrifice it because it's not going to make it anyway. No, 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 no. You're going to give me the best. I don't want leftovers. I don't want what you kind of think you could give. I want the first part. I want the best. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. Given instructions for what's to happen as the children of Israel are in bondage to Egypt. Which, by the way, is why they celebrate Passover. Why Passover? Because they were instructed to take the blood of this lamb that was submissive, spread the blood on the doorpost of their house, go inside, eat the Passover meal. While they were doing that, the death angel went across the land of Egypt, and anywhere there was not the blood on the doorpost, the angel would go into that house, and the firstborn would die. So if the blood was there, the angel would pass over. Boy, you're smart this morning, you know. Would pass over their house. 
And so they had to eat this Passover meal. Exodus 12, 3. Announced to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family's too small to eat the whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either sheep or goat, and here it is, with no defects. Why? Because Jesus Christ was an innocent man. He had no sin in him. And so, when we take the bread without yeast, we're eating unleavened bread. It speaks of nothing impure within him. Leaven throughout the Bible signifies and symbolizes sin and its effect. Unleavened bread says purity and holiness. Look at Exodus 12, 39. For bread, they bake flat cakes from the dough without yeast they had brought from Egypt. It was made without yeast because the people were driven out of Egypt in such a hurry they had no time to prepare the bread or other food. In other words, God said, go in, eat this meal. Yeah, that angel's going to go over. Pharaoh is going to say, okay, get out of town. I'm tired of dealing with you. I don't want you around here anymore. You need to hurry up and get out before he changes his mind. And we know that he did change his mind, didn't he? Because he pursued him later. And so he, he says, no, no leaven in the bread. Yeast, no yeast. Now, yeast is a wonderful thing. Many, 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 many years ago, my wife once in a while would make sticky buns. <laughs> it's been a long, long time. I miss them. For some reason, she says, I don't need them. I don't understand that. You know, so yeah, I know some of you feel my pain, don't you? Oh, man, it would be so good. But, you know, anyway, uh, give me a moment. I'll, I'll get by it. But she would take this dough and put yeast in it, and then she'd set it aside. In fact, a lot of times what she would do is she would take it out and put it in the car. Because down here in Florida, it's warm. It would speed up the process a little bit. And that dough would rise up. And then, you know, you take it and you make these little buns out of it. And you pour all the sticky. And when you make sticky buns, it's basically buns that hold the sticky, right? It's all about the sticky. Come on, work with me here a little bit. You know, and so that yeast would rise up that bread. Oh, so good. But unleavened bread is flat. Kind of tasteless, crunches. And yet, when we see this meal, eating that bread, the disciples just took a bite of bread. But before them stood the spotless, the sinless Lamb of God. Perfect. No sin in Him. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? 
get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, the festival of Passover, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus had the Pharisees and Sadducees constantly trying to trap him. They'd walk up to them and they'd sound so sincere, you know, Rabbi, tell us. And they'd propose a question to him where they had hoped to trap him. They kind of put a question there. They thought no matter which way he answers this, we got him. He's going to say something to tick somebody off. But he always answered correctly. And even though they devised it so that they'd give him, he'd give them a wrong answer, they could never trap him. Finally, they made up something and accused him and said he's guilty. But he wasn't. Because there was no sin in him. Now, what do we learn from that? Here's what we learn. Every little thing you do affects your life. A little yeast has a huge effect on the whole batch of dough. And you may think, well, I can do this and nobody will know, but the sin is at work. You may think it's not a big deal, but even a little bit affects your life affects how you live. It may be hidden, but the guilt will still be there. The anger and the resentment and the unforgiveness that you're holding on to, it will eventually come out. The inner desires that you have, at some point will be expressed. The hate that you carry will affect your actions. Don't think it's just a little sin. In fact, we have this great expression that always amazed me. Well, it's just a little white lie. It doesn't matter what color your lie is. It's still a lie. And you see, we tend to minimize and categorize sin. Well, if it's a little sin, it's not as bad as a big sin. Sin is sin. And yeast will always affect the dough, even if it's just a little bit, so it is with sin. And yet, here before them stood the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, completely innocent of all sin. Now, we can't be perfect, but we shouldn't hide those things in our life that we're guilty of, because if we'll come to Christ, He'll forgive us, and it's exposed and dealt with third thing on that plate is the bitter herbs. There's a spot of lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote some words. 700 years. Here's what he writes in Isaiah chapter 53. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. 
Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Now, stop right there for a moment. Let me just say something. You see, we tend to think that when something bad happens to us, it's because we've done something wrong. And what we have to understand as Christians is Christianity does not exempt you from the difficulties and pain of life. We tend to think, well, if I'll be good enough and pure enough and clean enough, and if I do everything right and I'm nice to people and especially nice to cats, then everything, everything will be good for me. But what do you do when you're doing everything right and life gets harder? Well, I don't understand it, Pastor. I'm doing the right thing. You're right. You are. Well, then life should be easier. You're wrong. That's not how it works. And here we are. We thought he was being punished because of what he did. He did nothing wrong. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Wow. Jesus Christ died for us. And out of his obedience to God, his submissive to the will of God, the perfect man still suffered. Still had to go through grief and sorrow and pain and agony. Now, what makes us think we should be exempt when we do what's right and face a little difficulty? Because I've known people, you probably have too, well, if this is the way God treats me and I'm doing what's right, then why should I serve Him? Well, here's why. Because it's the right thing to do. Because if you don't, you're going to mess things up because a little yeast will get you in a lot of problems. And so we find a man who was willing to deal with the bitterness of life and still maintain his integrity and maintain his obedience to God. You see, the test of your Christianity is not how you act when things are good. It's how you act when things are hard, when things are unfair, when things aren't going the way you want them to, when things seem to go on and on and on and on. Do you maintain the consistency in your service and obedience to God? It was overbearing for him. I mean, he, he goes from this meal place to the Garden of Gethsemane where he has this time of prayer, struggling, where he says to the Father, if it's possible, let there be another way. He understood the weight he was carrying. He understood what he was facing. He understood the difficulty of it all. And notice what he says in Mark chapter 14, verse 34. He tells him, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He continued his obedience to the Father. And so as we look at this meal, 
as in just a moment we're going to partake of our communion time, which celebrates this event, we realize that what he's saying and what we are saying when we take communion, Lord, I don't know what life is going to bring my way, but here is one thing I know. I will serve you no matter what. Life will be hard. Life is difficult. Life is not fair. But God is just. And Jesus maintained his obedience and devotion to God in spite of it being difficult. Don't think for a moment what Jesus did was very easy. It wasn't. It was hard. In fact, it was so hard that you will never have anything harder to do in your life than he had to do to go to the cross. A suffering Messiah. Fourthly, the wine, a saving Messiah. There was three or four different cups that they drank of throughout this meal. It, for the disciples, it was just a matter of, hey, let me wash down the bitter herbs and let me give some to clear my mouth of all the bread. But to the, the message was, in this cup, it represents salvation. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you. A new covenant. In other words, here's what he's saying. Israel, no longer do you need to celebrate the Passover of your celebration of being delivered from Egypt. Now you can celebrate my death on a cross and the salvation that I'm going to bring to you. It's a new way of living. <laughs> and they didn't do it, did they? Isn't it amazing how we don't like anybody to change us? I want to do something new in your day. Well, I like the old. Well, the old's gone. Well, I still like it better than new. And yet God drags us kicking and screaming into the new. And God constantly is saying, here's what I'm doing. Here's how I'm working. Here's where I'm going. And he tells the disciples right up front, look, okay, from this moment on, things have changed. From this moment on, it's no longer about the old covenant, about the Old Testament, about the rules and the laws and everything else. From this moment on, it's about me and the salvation that I'm going to provide for you through my death on a cross. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Ecclesiastes 1.7, He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. Wow. First Peter 1.18, You know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. There are not many ways to God. You can only be saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ.
Why his blood? Because he was innocent. An innocent man died, which means he paid the price for our sins. Now, I don't understand that, but in the spiritual realm, that had great significance, much more than we ever realize. He was the perfect sacrifice, the sinless sacrifice, and his blood purchased our salvation. His blood made it possible for you and I to go to him and ask for forgiveness of sins, and he has the power to forgive us because he overcame sin. Wow. So at that meal, they're partaking of these things. They all have significance. Most of it, from the disciples' standpoint at the moment, was kind of missed. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He understood the purpose behind it and the reason behind it and the significance behind it all. And you and I today sat and look and go, wow, a man who was willing to suffer for me, who obeyed God and was perfect and did what the Father told him to do and died as an innocent man for me. For me. Now, something underneath it, just let me give it to you as well. You and I, when Christians, when we come to Christ, aren't you and I supposed to lay down our life for others? Aren't you and I supposed to live that same way? That no matter how hard life gets and unfair life gets, you and I still don't live for ourselves. We live for God by living for others. And that's the example he set for us. And as that example, he look at one more person, Jesus Christ, that that's the kingdom of God. He is a soon coming Messiah. A soon coming Messiah. In our text that we read at the very beginning, he says, look, I'm not going to eat this meal with you again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In other words, this is it for me, but one day we're going to sit down together and we're going to celebrate your deliverance from the bondage of sin. We're going to sit down and celebrate the freedom that you have because of what I've done for you. One day, you and I will celebrate together. We call that, I think, the marriage supper of the Lamb where we gather together and partake. And Jesus said he wanted them to remember the events of the past, but I also want you to remember the future. Because without the future, there's no hope. Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the apostles were with Jesus. They kept out. This is after the resurrection. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? In other words, where's the sword? Let's go. Let's put things into place. You, you do what you need to do. And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. When's the Lord coming back? We don't know. And you're not supposed to. So if somebody tries to tell you, don't buy it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. In other words, don't concern yourself with that, but you take the message that I've given to you and you spread it around the world. That's what matters. The last two verses in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verses 21, 
and 21, he who is faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. So we celebrate what we call communion. We celebrate a remembrance of this Passover meal. We do it in a manner because we know that we have served a God who sent His Son, who was willing to be obedient and surrender and submit to His will, who did everything with integrity and no sin, and was willing to go through the difficulties of life and shed His blood so that we could be free. Now, if that was the end of the story, it's not. But aren't you glad that uh, next Sunday's coming? Because now we celebrate the triumphal victory of Jesus Christ over death, hell, and the grave. And he saw that and knew that and says, here's what it's about. So Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He gives them some instructions about taking communion. Now, please hear me. You all are from different backgrounds and come from all different areas, and everybody's got so many different ideas about communion that I do my best to try to tell you Get over it. Well, you can only have communion once a month. Oh, no, you've got to have communion every Sunday. Well, I want to take communion this way. Well, it needs to be done like this. Ooh, I don't like how the bread tastes. I don't, I don't like the cup. That, that's not nice. I don't like this. I, I think it should be like this. You're missing the whole point. The whole point of this celebration is for you and I to remember and they just gave us some elements to say, look, look at that and remember how his body was broken for you. Remember how he suffered for you. Remember what he went through. Don't forget it. Don't focus on what you're holding in your hand. Focus on the one who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you hold a cup in your hand, oh yeah, this is that, and it needs to be like this. No, no, no. It just represents because he shed his blood. I'm forgiven, and I'm declared righteous because of what Jesus Christ did for me. And I'm going to live my life for Him, and one day He's coming again, and I will sit down at a meal with Him, and we will celebrate together. That's what this is about. That's what it means. And so that's what we do. We celebrate that. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread, gave thanks to God for it, and he said, as he broke it into pieces, this is my body which is given for you. What is it? This do in remembrance of me. That's what it's about. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, the cup is my new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. And do this to remember me as often as you drink it or do it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. He's coming again. 
So we believe that Jesus Christ was sacrificed for our sins, and we have put our trust and faith in Him for our salvation. So if you're listening today, communion has no meaning to you if you're not a Christian because you haven't given your life to God. You haven't been willing to surrender and be submissive to Him. But all it takes is a moment for you to say, God, I'm guilty, I'm a sinner, and I believe that what you did for me on the cross can provide my salvation and forgiveness, and I commit my life to you. And for those of you here this morning, as we take our elements and find them together, what we're saying is, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, suffered for me, and I want to live my life to honor Him and to be willing to live for Him and suffer for Him, if that's what it means, whatever it means. And I believe that He's coming back again, and one day I'll be with Him forever. So he took the bread. He said, look, this is my body. Every time you take this, eat this, I want you to remember what I've done for you. Shall we eat together? And after that, took one of the cups and he said this is my blood disciples probably didn't fully grasp what he was saying he said but every time you drink this remember without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin and every time you drink of this remember the salvation that I provided for you shall we drink together take a moment and just thank him for what he's done for you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving your life. Thank you for being the sacrifice. Thank you for doing what I could not do. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for the life that you've offered to me thank you for the hope that I have about the future that one day one glorious day I will be at a meal with you and it will be worth it all thank you for your love for your willingness to lay down your life for mine help me to be willing to lay down my life for you We are grateful people. Thanks. Thanks. In thy name, amen. What a great God. What a great time. Amen. God bless. Amen. Amen. You know, over the course of time, I have people, oh, communion should be this very serious time because it means so much, and, and you're right. And other people, well, celebration should be this celebration time because of everything God does. You're right. It's a mixture of it all, isn't it? Amen. It is great to remember 
remember what God has done for us. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Sunday morning at 815 and 1045 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next week for Sunday Morning. Faith Assembly Sunday Morning is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.